0: Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is a founder and director of the Merciful Service of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here is Pastor Brad. Well, it's good to be back together tonight for our this is our fourth class in the series on the spirit-filled life. We are going to uh, going to look a little deeper tonight at what it is that the Holy Spirit actually does and how the Holy Spirit guides us. you look on your notes tonight, you'll see, uh, kind of always start off with a review of each of the, the weeks before, what we've been trying to learn. And so there's some bullet points there under number one that will give you a review. We started by defining the Spirit-filled life as... The life of Jesus Christ, in other words, the life of God that we mystically and mysteriously participate in. Going to talk just a little bit more about that, trying to bring that up each week, that we live this life in the Spirit both individually, but we also live it corporately, meaning as a body of Christ, as a church, Uh, and, and that it's a triune life, it's a life filled with awe, it's a life built in unity, and it's a life that must be lived daily. And then in week two, we talked about how that life in the Holy Spirit comes, and we concentrated on the power of the holy name of God. That it's over and over, when you read through the book of Acts, you see that it's in the power of Jesus' name, and what that meant. So any one of these, you can go back and listen to the podcast, because they're all up there and, and kind of refresh yourself if you would like to. Uh, We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, not with wine. We looked at that scripture from the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we looked at that, we saw that the wine is really a metaphor for all kinds of things in the world we can fill ourselves with. But not to fill ourselves with, because what we want to be filled with is God's Holy Spirit. So if you think of a A wine glass or a glass of any uh, liquid or something, it could be filled, and the idea is that it just continuously keeps getting filled. We need the continual filling. The verb tense that is used by the Apostle Paul is that it's a continuous filling. Now, in week three, we talked a little more about the fact that even though it is a continuous filling, it's also a very second, definite work of God's grace. Something you don't hear a lot in our uh, teaching and preaching these days, but we need to do a better job at. The article of faith the Church of the Nazarene teaches called entire sanctification, sometimes just shortened to be called sanctification, although they really are separate things. Uh, The word sanctification is a very broad word, meaning to be made holy, the process of being made holy. It is our understanding of Scripture and our theology that it is a definite, Work of grace subsequent to salvation, or the big word there, the big theological word is regeneration. So a second definite work subject to regeneration. We talked about that in week three, and we used examples. There are four great examples in the book of Acts. If you missed week three, go listen to it. Four great examples of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, all done differently. And we learn something from that. We learn that it's not so much about the fact that it's the form, like whether it's the laying on of hands or whether it's not the laying on of hands, but it's the fact that it's subsequent, and it is a second definite work of grace. So tonight, that gives you a quick, quick review. We're up to date. So tonight I want to ask the question, what is the key? How is it that we are truly filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it just a decision we make? Is it uh, it some uh, process or some special service we have to go through? Can it happen at any time? Uh, What do we mean when we say that it's just an event or a crisis event or it needs to happen uh, one time, but yet it's still continuous? I want to talk a little about that. But the key is the word faith. Okay? The word faith. Now we're used to saying that faith is the key to salvation, aren't we? We're saved by faith. Book of Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul. You are saved by grace through faith. Through faith by grace. The point is we've built our theology around the idea that no one is saved without faith. But what about sanctification? Faith isn't earned by works, but yet Is sanctification earned by works? Well, here's what I want you to hear. Faith is the key to sanctification also. If there's any work that can be said to be done to to live the sanctified life, it's no different than the work that can said to be done to live the saved life. And that is to surrender. The key is surrender. So if one wants to say there's any work on our part, our work doesn't earn it. But yet there is a work that we must do, and that work is to surrender. So we're going to look at what that means. Let's think about a couple of scriptures tonight. Now, if you have a Bible, feel free to open them up. I'm going to slip over here. I didn't pre-mark them, so it'll take me just a minute to turn the pages. I'm going to look first at the book of Hebrews, and then we'll go to the Gospels. But in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we are... uh, reading in chapter 11 about this famous uh, definition of faith. The whole chapter is sometimes called the Hall of Faith, where the writer of Hebrews talks about the importance of faith, and he gives all of these examples, starting with, with uh, Abel and going on through. If You might remember Pastor Mark Royer actually, uh, in one of his sermons talking about faith, actually quoted this whole chapter by memory. Uh, Well, I can't do that for you, (laughs) but uh, I'm pretty amazed that he can and, and that he did. But what I want to concentrate here is look at one verse with me. Look at verse six. Let's read that one. My version tonight's, and I'll be, I'm using the NASB, the New American Standard, and it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. That him means God. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now we understand a little bit of what that means with salvation. For salvation it it, it just you have to believe with the heart we believe and then our faith—that's uh, placing our ultimate faith, our ultimate surrender in, in God. But, but if we look at this previous chapter in, uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, you see he's talking about. Uh, well, he, he he actually says in here, in verse uh, fourteen. This is chapter ten now for by one offering he was perfected for all time he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified who's the he Jesus okay so we can read that for by one offering Jesus has perfected for all time those who are sanctified now, that's our subject matter in this class we want to talk about being sanctified and, and learning what it means to live life in the holy spirit and he goes on in verse 15 and says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, and after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and upon their mind I will write them. And then he says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer now, no, now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So the writer of Hebrews is saying there is that there is this life that we can live that is sanctified. In other words, that is holy, that is being filled and led by the Spirit of God, that is a part of the covenant. It's, it's even, they use the words perfected that Jesus has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. This word perfected is an interesting word. Does anybody know uh, the word for perfect? John Wesley got into a little uh, trouble with his peers in, in the Church of England because they didn't like him using the word perfection. He wrote a book called A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. And he said, they said, you're trying to tell us that we have to be perfect and we can't be perfect. This is the Church of England talking back to John Wesley. John Wesley said, I don't like the word perfection, but I have to use it because the Bible uses it. Scriptures. Jesus said, remember in the Gospel, Jesus said, be perfect just as my Father in heaven is perfect. So we have to struggle with that. What does it mean? And then what does it mean when we go to the book of Hebrews and we hear things like Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified? How are we perfected? Well, the word, I'm looking for my handy board. I don't have it here. But I'm going to go ahead and give you a Greek word tonight. I didn't <coughs> set this board up earlier. Use this word a lot in other classes and study that you may have studied. And it's this word. Teleu. Teleu. And this is Greek now. This is the word we see here for perfected. What does that mean, teleu? tell you. It means, if we look it up in the Greek, it means complete, finished, nothing lacking. So I want you to begin to think about the sanctified life, the spirit-filled life, as I've called this class, as a life that is full and complete and not lacking. That's an important mind picture to get to get into our picture to get into our minds, okay? The idea of perfection. Now, let's hold on that for just a little bit and let's go back to the Gospels now and look at a few passages that Jesus says. I'm going to go first to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9 and read a word from the Lord here. Matthew chapter 9. And verse 29. This is a passage, this whole chapter is a passage where Jesus has been working miracles, he's forgiven this paralytic, uh, he's eating with sinners, he's, he's talking about he's being encountered on why his disciples do not fast. And while he is leaving the synagogue, it's while he's leaving this dinner, there's it says in verse 18 that uh, a synagogue official came up and said my daughter just died and so Jesus is going to go and restore her life and he gets touched by the woman who has the issue of blood she touches him his garment so you're starting to remember there's a lot of things happening in this chapter kind of in rapid fire okay and so Jesus pronounces that that woman has been uh, healed and if you look in verse 22 he turns to her and he says to her, daughter, take courage, your faith has made you well. We remember that story where the woman of the issue of blood, is. In, Jesus is in a large crowd and she's just trying to get close enough to touch the hem of his garment. And and she's had this issue of blood for, I can't remember now, it's been a lot of years, 12 years, yeah, 12 years, and, and she's been hemorrhaging and none of the doctors, none, nobody could really heal her. But she wants to touch Jesus. Jesus turns to her and Long story short, he says, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. So there's that word faith. We're talking about that's the key to the sanctified, spirit-filled life. So remember that. You can circle that. There's the word faith. So then we go. Jesus, it says, he came to the official's house, and we know the end of that story. Jesus actually raises the official's daughter from the dead, restores her to life. Incredible miracles. It says news in verse 26. It says news went out into all the land of of what amazing things Jesus is doing. And then as he's leaving there, in verse 27, he passes a couple of uh, people that are begging, and they shout out to him, Have mercy on us, son of David. They're blind. And Jesus asks them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? This is verse 28. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? In other words, they've asked something of God. They've asked something of Jesus. And before he grants it, he wants to know, do they have faith? But do you believe I can do it? What's their answer? Yes, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And so he touched their eyes and saying, be it. And here's our key verse. Okay, 929. Be it done to you according to your faith. So. If these men had doubted about his abilities, it wouldn't have worked, would it? I want you to... I cannot stress how important the concept of faith is, not only for salvation, but for the Spirit-filled life. And as we unpack that a little bit, you're going to see what I mean. Unfortunately, sometimes we think of life in Christ as just going through... the the Christ does all the work okay he, he he does everything he he saves us he sanctifies us and while that's true none of it happens without our faith and that's our work that is our part of the equation we must place our faith in him for any of it to be effective we've got to have faith in him to be saved we have to have faith in him to be sanctified we have to have faith for for everything uh One more verse. Let's jump over to the Gospel of Mark. So 929, pretty important verse. We'll be coming back to it. Be it done according to you, according to your faith. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Now, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. This is coming, having come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. There was a demon-possessed son, whom the disciples had tried to heal and they couldn't. Um, and so the man's father finds Jesus and he asks him a question. <laughs> um, he, he comes and, and let's pick up the story in about, well, it's worth telling. The story is, let's pick it up in 14. And when they came back to the disciples, this is Peter, James, and John coming with Jesus back down off the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him, meaning Jesus. They're amazed. There's Jesus. The crowd's running up to meet him. Verse 16, And he asked them, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. Possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth, and he stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. Stop and take note. All the, spirit, all the evil demon had to do was see Jesus. Okay, Jesus hadn't even spoken a word yet. And this evil demon is acting up and throwing this boy to the ground. And so uh, he's rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And, and then he, Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. We can understand the father's distraught. His child's been this way all his life. He hears of miracles. And so he wants to take every chance he can to see that his son is healed and delivered from this demon. But his response to Jesus is, But if you can do anything, help us. It's like a beggar pleading, right? Right. And so what is Jesus' response? He says to him, if you can. I love that phrase. And maybe you have an exclamation point there. If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And so immediately the boy's father cries out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's a fascinating phrase. Gonna think about that a little bit. I, I do believe. I doubt. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I say that a lot. I say that a lot, huh? Yeah. yeah anytime something up. We say we believe. We think we believe, but yet yeah, then our actions sometimes prove we don't. This man came to Jesus, he's heard that Jesus has healed has raised the dead. And, he, and he's struggling. If you can, but if you can do anything, please help us. It's an odd response compared to the two blind men who call out, Master, son of David, please heal us. Uh, so the whole storyline here that we're looking at tonight is a storyline about faith, faith and unbelief. And now we're going to relate it to the spirit filled life here pretty quick. Um, The work that every single person has to do in order to be touched by Jesus, whether that is to be saved or that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, sanctified entirely, is that we must surrender. Without surrender, Jesus not only will not, but cannot heal us, save us, or sanctify us. What do I mean by that? Why do I use such strong words as will not and cannot? Because it's important that we understand that while we've looked kind of, we've kind of looked forensically for the last couple of weeks at what is entire sanctification. Now we want to get down to the the nitty gritty and say, what is the, does the spirit-filled life really look like? Well, the first thing it looks like is it looks like complete and total surrender. Complete and total surrender. Because without complete and total surrender, Jesus will not, cannot heal us, save us, or sanctify us. Why do I say that? Because he will not go against our free will. It all hinges on that. God doesn't save us against our will, and he doesn't sanctify us against our will. We have to surrender. So when we hear the Apostle Paul talking about things like, well, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we learn things like we learned a couple of weeks ago about this God-shaped void that is inside every human being. And the only thing that will fill it, that will fill it rightly and fully, is, is God. God. And that he desires to do that for us with the gift of his Holy Spirit. He won't do it for us. He can't do it for us unless we completely surrender. But here's the good news. It's available for everyone. The good news that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given for all who will believe, for all who will surrender. It's not reserved for a special few. Jesus has shown in Scripture. The apostles showed in Scripture that they gave, they they prayed and gave in the sense the anointing or the laying on of hands, and this is for the Holy Spirit to everyone, Jews and Gentiles. The reason it was to Jews and Gentiles, Cornelius's family, remember, were Gentiles. Samaritans were kind of the outcast of the relation to the Jews. The Scripture is very clear that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. So none of us should have that feeling that I'm not good enough or I, I, I wonder. But yet we fill ourselves, sometimes we fill ourselves with doubts. So I want to focus on the doubts here as we kind of continue to go. Now, in you'll notice here that I said, how does the Holy Spirit guide us? Because if the Holy Spirit fills us, and we talked the last couple of weeks, the difference between just having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone, I made the point, everyone has the Holy Spirit. We couldn't be saved without the Holy Spirit, right? So in some measure or form, we have the Holy Spirit. But what Scripture is talking about in sanctification in the Spirit-filled life is to be filled, not have, not just have, but be filled. And I had... uh, I had a cup out here with water in it. We talked about if I poured the water in it to fill it, there's a point at which it's full. Now, if I left, I I didn't have the opportunity to do that, but if I had left that water here, because Debbie would have done such a good job cleaning, she would have picked it up and thrown it away. But if I had left that water here for a month, if I filled it up and left it here for a month, and we came back, would we see any difference in that cup? Sure. What would we see? Drop down, drop. It would evaporate. Some of it would evaporate. <clears throat> the concept of filling. I know all metaphors, all illustrations break down eventually. They're not perfect because we're relating to a perfect God. But but the idea is it, it, it need to be filled again. Okay? But if I also took a cup and I turned that cup upside down and there's no opening to that cup, I, I pour water. I could pour water on it forever. And it's not ever going to get filled, because the only way to open that cup is to willfully surrender. So okay. we have to empty ourselves of ourselves, so that there is room for the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Very well said. We have to empty ourselves That's in the surrender. In the surrender. That's what surrendering is. Surrendering is being able to empty ourselves. But just how do we do that? Um, how does God do it for us? How does he lead us in this? How does he guide us in this? Well, the first thing I want to note to you is that the Holy Spirit guides us in this by giving us gifts. Every single person has a gift from the Holy Spirit. You may not know what your gift is, but the truth is you have one. You may have many gifts from the Holy Spirit. We don't all have them all. We don't all have the same ones. It varies every, but every single person because God is impartial and he wants to give good gifts to his children. So one of the ways that he leads us is by that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is one of the places where the apostle Paul speaks about these gifts that God gives and why he gives them. Now in the first, oh, 10 or. 12 verses here, he talks about uh, the variety of gifts. He says in verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but there's only one Spirit. He says there's a variety of ministries, but there's only one Lord, the same Lord. There's a variety of effects, but the same God who works in all things and in all persons. Verse 7, key verse, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he goes in to say one is given a spirit of wisdom, one is given a spirit of knowledge, a word of knowledge, one is given uh, gifts of healing, perhaps, affecting miracles, prophecy, and he's just listing a few gifts here. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list. But his point is God is giving gifts to everyone. Now, who is the everyone? Everyone everyone. Now, he's writing this letter to the church. So one of the first things we want to do is we want to recognize that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the church. Not just for everyone in the world. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the world hasn't surrendered. Everyone in the world isn't open in their heart to receive. Now, they're there once they do. But right now, what the Apostle Paul is concerned is that we understand he's talking to the church. In this case, the church in Corinth. And he wants them to know that everyone in the church as a gift because God has given it to them. All you have to do is discover what it is. Now, one of those gifts, okay, we can say that the we can say that the one gift that He's given to everyone that's the same is just the gift of His presence. The gift of His presence. Because He is the one who fills us. The Holy Spirit Himself is the one who fills us. The way that is worked out is in these different ways of gifting, like healing or preaching, or working, or serving, or different things like that. But he says in verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Now, in verse 18, we see something very important. He says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, again, he's talking about the church, but now God has placed the members each one of them in the body that is the church, just as He desired just as he desired. You see God has a plan. God has a plan for where, where, where we are where we are tonight where are we? We're, we're in church. church. I'm, I'm preaching to the church. We're teaching a class in the church. I'm saying to you that are in the church God has a plan. He has a desire. To give you his gifts and he's placed you here for a reason and he's given you the gifts that he's given you for a reason he's given you the gift of the holy spirit for a reason so we don't have any choice we can't say oh god i want the gift of preaching I i want the gift of healing so we don't have a choice. It's not a cafeteria where we can just say, okay, that looks good. I want that gift because if I had that gift, everybody would love me. It just doesn't work that way. So there's, there's indeed a process in our lives about discovering how God's the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us. So th- this brings us to a point where I want to talk a little bit and, and describe this idea of, of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, as we've studied a lot in the first three weeks of the class, in the book of Acts, the gift of the Holy Spirit was, it seems as if it was synonymous with this idea of speaking in tongues. That's what we saw in those four examples. Um, It was this charismatic outpouring that was discernibly noticeable. That was only in those four, four illustrations. As we go through the balance of the New Testament, we don't see that there is an expectation that everyone's gift of the Holy Spirit looks the same. So what is this gift of the Holy Spirit? I want to talk with you just a little bit about it. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? If it's not speaking in tongues, if it's not being touched charismatically like Paul was, or like the Samaritans were, or like the Ephesians were, Or the Greeks with Cornelius. What what is it then? If it's not that, what is it? It's the power. I'm going to give you the answer, okay? It's the power to live the Christ-like life. It's the power to make decisions. It's the power to discern. It's the power to know how to live in this world like Christ. The truth is there is always and forever two kinds of believers in Christ. Those that just believe and are not filled and those that believe and are filled. In other words, those that have made that final, total, consecrated surrender to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to make no mistake about it, clearly God wants us, he's leading us to be fully surrendered so that we can be Fully sanctified. Paul says it this way in the Thessalonian letter. He says in 1 Thessalonians, this is a very important verse. Um, if I'd have had more time today, I would have pre-marked all these, so I'm having to take a minute to flip through the pages. But in verse chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete and without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Thessalonian church. Again, in the context of the members of the church, the members of his body. He's saying it is God's will. Um, He starts that chapter, look back at the beginning. Um, Find the exact verse here for you. He said it is, um, here we go. It's actually chapter 4 that I wanted to show you. Verse 3. For this is, same same letter, same church, Thessalonians. For this is the will of God. He's not talking to one individual. He's not, we know, not only talking, even though he's directly talking to Thessalonians. The reason this is in scripture is because it applies to all churches everywhere. Because there is only one body. Okay, And we are members of it. So if it applies to them, it applies to us in that sense. And he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So the issue that they were having trouble with was clearly a sexual issue. But he's using that issue as to say, you know what? God's will is for you not to have issues with sin. God's will is for you to have him in sanctification. And then he takes that into chapter 5 and says, and not only that, but to have it sanctified entirely. Why do we call the gift of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why do we call it entire sanctification? Because right here in the scripture, Paul is showing us this is entire. There's not a little bit. It's, we're not 99% sanctified. We're not you know, 75%. We're either 100% surrendered and 100% filled, or we're not filled. We're back in that category of just the believer. There's, there's, this is a difficult concept to get. It's a difficult concept to get because sometimes we don't feel it. And part of the reason we don't feel it is because I know a cup of water has no feelings, but if that cup of water had feelings, it wouldn't feel the same when it's full as when it's partially dehydrated, right? See, this is what happens in us. We we come off the mountaintop and we're full. We have this experience where we respond to the will of God and we open ourselves up and we surrender and we are entirely surrendered and we are entirely sanctified. But because we're human life goes on and we get beat up and we get dehydrated, if you will, to use my example, a cup of water. We need to be refilled. So this is why it is yes it is a point and it is a process process but yes it is also a I meant to say yes it is a point in a crisis but yes it yes it is also a process. It's not either or it's both and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the yearning to be filled with up to all the fullness of God, is both crisis and process. And anything that teaches one or the other is incomplete. Okay, and that's just logical if we think about it. Why is it logical? Because if I only if I teach that it's crisis only, just this one-time event, then nothing else happens. Well, that doesn't reflect reality because you and I both know. We've been at this long enough to know that there's days we need to get refilled. Okay, your gas tank won't run forever. But if I teach that it's only process, it's never crisis. Then when did I ever turn it all over to God? It has to be both and. You see, just the same as it has to be a second work of grace. The historic Christian church has always taught that it's a second work of grace. It's not second in number, meaning there are only two works of grace, because there's many works of God's grace. You couldn't even count the number of graces God gives. But it's meaning it's subsequent to the idea of just being saved, the understanding of just being saved. Now, this is why Paul speaks so poignantly in the book of Ephesians, as we've looked at over and over in this class, be filled in a continuous way, okay, be filled in a continuous way, now the first thing you got to do is be filled in an initial way, or, or in that entire consecration, that moment of consecration, that's got to happen, okay, we don't get, here's what I, I want to really help get through in this Spirit-filled life class, we don't get the Holy Spirit by osmosis, okay, I'm not a science major at all, okay, I'm terrible at science, so I'm probably not even using osmosis in the right way. But, but but if I understand a little bit about osmosis, I, I mean, it, Corbin, you're a lot smarter than me. What is osmosis when you hear that? Oh, I think of it as like a, like a water or liquid just kind of like just passing through almost a seemingly solid okay. object. Like if you could just walk through the door. If you could just walk. pass through something, yeah. yeah. So just being close to it, it begins to pass... If I'm standing, just because I'm close to the Holy Spirit doesn't mean it's going to just by osmosis fill me up. I've got to willingly unlock that door. I've got to willingly consecrate, show God my desire that I want his good gift. Okay? Um, now, in the, in the book of Acts chapter 13, there's a very important uh, kind of a corollary passage that I want to show to you. Now, in, in chapter 13... Um, lots happening here. Paul's been preaching. Uh, he, him, and Barnabas have set out from Antioch. Uh, there's he's preaching through part of it, but if you go down towards the end of the chapter, Paul preaches on the second Sabbath here, um, and um, without giving you the whole, just, uh, just just pick up the story in verse 44. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city had assembled to hear the word of God. So Paul's preaching is pretty effective. And the whole city's now come out to hear him. Um, And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. So you got Paul preaching over here, drawing huge crowds. The Jews start shouting and preaching, trying to contradict him, trying to break his momentum. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, meaning you, the Jews, since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. But behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. That's the rest of the world, in other words. For thus the Lord has commanded us. And then he quotes this scripture from Isaiah, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, this is verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Okay, now there's a salvation experience, okay? Bunch of Gentiles have heard the gospel and God has intended for them to hear it and their lives have been turned over and says they believed. Now in verse 49, we continue, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews aroused the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. So they're really starting to suffer for the spreading of the gospel the way it is. And it says, and they drove them out of their district. And I love verse 51 and 52. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them, and they went on to Iconium. Verse 52 is our key word tonight. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. A whole sermon I could preach about the whole point about being filled with joy, even though people are persecuting you. That's a great message right there, okay? But what I want to do is concentrate on the fact that they're continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, there's ample scriptural evidence. It only makes sense to our minds that we need this continual filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would go so far as to say to you that I believe, That when we worship, when we come to worship together, of course, numerous ways that we are filled by God's Holy Spirit, numerous ways and places, we can't limit God, we can't put him in a box. But one of the ways that he is, I believe, designed for us to be filled with his spirit or continuously filled with his spirit is in the experience of worshiping together. I really believe that. That's why I said what I said. Partially, that's why I said what I said on Sunday in my message. My message Sunday, there were so many things that I wanted to say that I didn't have time to say, and there were so many things I wrote down that I didn't say because I didn't follow what I'd written down, and one of them was this understanding that in worship, something mystical is happening. Whether we're just, whether it's whether, it's whether we're receiving communion Now, you've heard me preach about that, and when we're receiving communion, that's a mystical happening, that the body of Christ is made manifest, the body and blood, they are made manifest somehow by his mystery, and that they feed us spiritually. This isn't just a remembrance. But even even without that, the act of corporate worship, when we sing together, when we listen to the word of God being read, when we hear somebody preaching or expounding upon that, The Spirit of God is going out and He is filling those hearts that are open. The question is, is our heart open? Are we open to the continual filling of the Holy Spirit? Got to be open because what have we learned about God? God is, to use an anthropomorphic term, He's the perfect gentleman. He will not force us to receive Him. So, Right, right. So, so we want to, we want to strive to remain open to God's Holy Spirit. Every day, we want to pray. God, teach me. Help me to be open to Your Holy Spirit. Teach me what You have for me to learn today. Help me do this. Help me do that. I mean. It, The prayer life cannot be separated from this desire and need for a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And if we do open ourselves to that, we we can understand that God is faithful. What Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1st chapter 5, 23, faithful is he who calls you and he will do it. So I made a point to you in point number one tonight is that faith is the key to sanctification. If you don't believe he will do it, guess what? He won't. If you don't believe he can, he can't. Jesus said, be it done unto you according to your word, according to your faith. Okay? So how important is faith in receiving and living out the Spirit-filled life? It's It's huge. So now let's take this You can't do it without it. Faith is everything. We've always sung lots of songs about faith is the victory. There's lots of old hymns, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, you know. Faith is everything. Now, go with me a little bit further as we look at the second half of how the Holy Spirit wants to guide us. He wants to guide us by giving us gifts. Through those gifts, he begins to guide our lives. He begins to use us in the ways according to his uh, perfect plan and his will. He wants to continually fill us. And one of the ways, or two of the ways, I guess I should say, that I think come out in the Ephesian letter, if you look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, I know we're flipping back and forth between a lot of scriptures tonight, but I've tried to write most of them down there for you so you can go back and look at them when you have more time or if you choose to listen to this again. Now, in chapter one of the letter to the Ephesians, we hear these words from the apostle Paul. I'll start at um, uh, no no good place to start in the middle of a story, but but let's go with um, let's just start at verse seven. I I just this is too powerful to miss. Okay, let's start at verse seven. Chapter one, verse verse seven. In Him, meaning in Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which means our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will. I've been telling you for weeks now that this is a mystery. Okay? It's a mystery that's been revealed. It's mysterious to us how it could ever be that God would come and live within us. But he has made known to us, Paul says, the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration that is suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ. There's a loud group walking through the hallway, so I just pause rather than trying to go over them. I did a funeral service today for uh, a family, and the the... Dear wife of the deceased, she was about as deaf as you could get. She could, I, I literally had to scream. I feel hoarse tonight, Mm -hmm. and the microphone really wasn't doing any good in this chapel where I was. And, and I was just, I was just doing my best, and I was just. It felt so hard to just yell, so I, I immediately wanted to stop and not just try and yell over them. Mm -hmm. Okay, where was I? Um, The mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. There we go. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things upon the earth, in him, also we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. Now, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, okay, you get the feeling like he's about to talk about something extra. You too, having also, okay, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent work to just being saved by believing. There's a correlation between the sealing of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit is is what I'm showing you here. It says, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. For that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's here's, here's his prayer right here. This is Paul's prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those of us Believe now. I could go on and on and on and on and on, but what I want you to hear in that is that the apostle Paul has showed us once again there is a subsequent work. It's called the sealing in the Holy Spirit, sealing with being sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. it's a big word. It's which word? Sealed. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And and in the ancient, in the it's sealed means it's official. You know, if if somebody put a seal, if the king put his seal on an envelope or on an or on a document or on a law, it's it. You know, this is the king's word. It's God's word. You've been sealed, and there is something that happened in their lives. They were sealed. We can discern what that something is. We know that in some of the cases they were. We saw it in the Book of Acts. They had. There was this gift of the Holy Spirit. People had their hands laid on them. Sometimes they didn't have hands laid on them. Sometimes, like in the story of Cornelius and Peter, Peter's just preaching and they received the gift. They they didn't have their hands laid on them. Those Gentiles didn't. So we're not trying to narrow things down to a form, but we are narrowing it down to the fact that there is a gift called the gift of the Holy Spirit and the sealing in that spirit that is subsequent to believing and that it's in that spirit it's in that gift that he says in verses 17 18 and 19 that 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 our hearts can be enlightened and opened and that god would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation now i asked the question tonight we're going to look at and over I, i kind of said for the next few weeks we're going to be looking at just how does god guide us in the Holy Spirit. How is it that the Holy Spirit really guides us in everyday life? Okay? And I'm telling you two of the ways, in wisdom and in revelation. This is Ephesians 1:17, the words of St. Paul. In wisdom and in revelation. So how does that break out? Well, you got to come back next week to find out. Okay? okay. Next week, I'm going to lay out for you uh, at least five ways that that we look at this guidance of the Holy Spirit in wisdom and then another several ways that we, in in Revelation. So we're going to look at some specific ways that we encounter the Holy Spirit of God in our lives to lead us and guide us. But let's, I've given you a lot, so let's kind of, this is always deep subject matter, so I want to stop for tonight and just maybe discuss, do you have any thoughts, any observations, questions, comments? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? That last passage you read, my version says destined, not predestined. Destined, not predestined. Should I make a big thing out of it? No, no. That was just somebody trying not to sound Calvinist because their word Calvinists love the word predestination. God does predestine us. It's just how He predestines us. He predestines us. He destines us. We have a destiny. Did you know you have a destiny? Your destiny is because of God's knowledge. He knew the beginning from the end. He knew you would respond. He knew you'd be in church tonight. He knew you'd be in class tonight. Amen. So what do you think? Any other thoughts, comments, questions? About this glorious thing called the process of the gift of the Holy Spirit? No? No thoughts, comments, questions, observations? It's heavy. It's heavy. Here here's I want to I want to end with this thought, okay? One more heavy thought for tonight. How do I phrase this? I said to you tonight that faith is the key to sanctification, just like faith is the key to salvation. Okay? When we come to the place that we truly believe, or in other words, truly have faith that God is in us, that is him who lives because we've been crucified, like the Apostle Paul says, when we truly come to that, everything begins to make sense. We will have his wisdom. We will have his revelation. We will be able to know, like the Apostle Peter, who walked right up those temple steps and saw that man who'd seen all his life and never had any wisdom or revelation before to even help the man. But that day, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, you know, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I have Jesus. And I give you Jesus. Rise and be healed. Walk. Most of us fall down Okay, I'm not perfect. Okay, I'm not teaching this class to tell you that I figured this out and I've lived this out perfectly. I'm just teaching this class to tell you what I've learned and, from all my trials and pitfalls and what I believe. And that is that most of us fall down because we fail to discern and truly believe that God inside us, God living in our, that our will is dead and that it's God's will that is moving us. So what do we do then with those doubts? Well, if that was true, then I wouldn't have doubts. And if I was, that's what next week's class is about. Okay? How do we live? What's the process of living with these doubts and these problems? and these? How do we conquer these things? Because I believe, you may say, Brad, I believe. I know God wants to live in me. I hear it. I've heard it all my life. You've preached it. Others have preached it. The Bible says it. But I can't find my way to that spirit-filled life. Next week, don't miss, okay? Let's pray as we close. Father God, thank you for time in this class tonight. Thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray you would cover over anything I've said or taught tonight that would be misleading or wrong because I just want to teach your way, your will, according to your will. So bless us now as we leave this class. Uh, Some of us will be back for Bible study tomorrow. Bless us then. And bless us as we gather next Sunday, and may next Sunday's gathering be an incredibly Spirit-filled event, thinking about how we are the body of Christ. Thank you now in Jesus' strong name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your Son, who, our Savior, who lives forever with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, as one God, forever and ever and unto ages be. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.